It's a great privilege to be here with you tonight and to open God's Word uh, to you and with you as we uh, consider this passage. If you do have your Bible, I invite you, uh, if you've closed it, to open it back up to to Luke chapter 7. As we come to God's Word, let's take a moment and pray together. Father, as we come before you, as we come now before your Word, Lord, would you show us Jesus? Would Jesus become more beautiful to us than when we woke up this morning? And would we come and sit at his feet and to hear him say, your faith has made you well, go in peace, that we might live for him To his praise and glory we ask. Amen. Uh, A month or so ago, uh, a good friend of mine asked me if I wanted to go on a, quote, longish run with him in a couple of weeks' time. And at the time, I wasn't really running much. I've taken up running over the last few years, but my my body was kind of falling apart. My knee was hurting. And there was one part of me that said, you know what, I really want to do this. And there's another part of me that said, you can't do this. And so I, I politely tried to turn him down and say, no, I don't, I don't think I can. And later on in the text conversation we were having, he used the words ultra and marathon to describe the longish run. Now, I have no idea how long an ultra marathon is, but I know this. I know the word marathon means 26 miles. And I know the word ultra means a lot more than. And so I was somewhat flattered in a sense of, wow, you would want me to come and run with you. And as I was running later that week, I was in the first mile and the wind was at my back and I was going downhill. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to text him back. I got this. I can do it. And then I turned the corner and went uphill into the wind, and I thought, there is no way. (laughs) What was I thinking? Jesus says to the disciples, he says to you and to me, follow me, follow me. And some of us might, when we hear that invitation of Jesus, think, there's no way. There's no way that I can do that. It's like running uphill into the wind. There's no way I can do it. But perhaps there's times when we go, you know what? I've got this. Of course, Jesus wants me on his team. Why wouldn't he? Look at me. I'm great. I do all the right things. I, I go to church. I, if, I, if I'm not in the building, I'm at least watching on the live stream and I'm faithfully listening on my laptop without opening up other windows and searching other things while the preacher is preaching. I've got this. And then we quickly run into life and look in the mirror perhaps and go, maybe I'm not as good as I hope or thought. Maybe I don't have this. 
As we think about maybe those two things, maybe you've even felt that on a daily basis, sometimes even within an hourly basis, you feel that I'm good enough, I'm not good enough pull of our own lives. If you've ever been there, or maybe you are there right now, I want to invite you into this passage in Luke, because we're going to see someone who thought they had it all together and misses Jesus while Jesus is at his house. And we're going to see someone that's life is a mess, that knows that they cannot do it, and yet finds Jesus. And so tonight I want us to, to think about kind of three people, Simon, a sinner, and a savior. Simon, a sinner, and a savior, as we think and as unfolded before us, hear the scandalously beautiful offer of the gospel of Jesus that is for you and for me. And so the first person that we, we are introduced to in this passage, in these verses, is a man named Simon. Simon, if you see there in verse 36, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Simon is a man who is known as a Pharisee. A Pharisee, if you're not sure who that or what that is, he was one of the religious leaders of the time. He was someone who uh, kept all of the rules, and in fact, the, the rules that were there were not uh, simply the rules that God had laid out. They actually laid out other rules around those rules so that they didn't even close to breaking God's rule, which might sound a bit like, what did he just say? So let me illustrate it. Right out here, I think, as I was coming into Dundee a few minutes ago, there is a little sign that says, welcome to Dundee. And then it says, speed limit 20. And it has, I don't know if this one had, but many towns here, there's the, the, either the frowny face to shame you into slowing down or the smiley face to say, well done. And so if that was the case back in Jesus's day and they had cars and you were good, they would, the Pharisees would have said, actually, they say 20, make it 15. And instead of the sign with the smiley face or the frowny face, they would have stood out there with their radar taking your reg plate down. And when you came in here, they would have said, I saw you. You were going 17. You were going 18. You've broken the law. And Simon, as a Pharisee, would have said, we haven't done that. We have kept the law. We have kept it perfectly. We have tried our best. You see, the Pharisees were those that were in power. They were often very wealthy. They were ones that you would want your sons to grow up to become. You would want your daughters to grow up to marry. These were the movers and the shakers of society. They were seen as God's chosen because they had it together they, as they were wealthy was a sign that God loved them and God cared for them. And so here we have a man named Simon who in so many respects when he sees himself and even when others see him, he has his life altogether. 
He's righteous. He's good. And so he invites Jesus to his house for dinner. Now, it doesn't tell us why, but I want to suppose with us for a moment it was because as a Pharisee, as a group of men, they may have been jealous of Jesus because Jesus, is, his ministry is getting going. In, in our day and age, we would say that Jesus is trending at the moment. People are talking about Jesus. People are following Jesus. And if you're the religious elite, you want people following you and, doing, and coming to your house and, and being seen with you. And Simon, a bit jealous perhaps of what Jesus is doing, says, Jesus, why don't you come over to my house for dinner? And Jesus is an equal opportunity party attender. He'll go and he, he dines with many different people. And so he goes and he dines at Simon's house. A, a meal, a dinner in this day and age was not simply just come over and let's, let's Let's hang out. It was a sign of, uh, of intimacy that was, that was going on here in this, in this moment. And it was a, a very social occasion that we'll hear about in another few minutes. But we begin to see how Simon views Jesus. Because Simon doesn't do the things that are traditional, customary to do when you invite a friend over to your house for a meal. We see that later on in verses uh, 44 and following. It was customary that when you came into the house that you would have greeted your guest with a kiss and you would have anointed them with a few drops of oil on their head, and you would have also provide water for their feet, because their feet, as they walked through the dirty, dusty streets that were also covered in all kinds of other things that you can imagine as animals and such wander around the streets, your feet were probably really gross. And so it was customary to wash your feet. But Simon doesn't do any of those things. Simon doesn't do any of those things for Jesus. And I know this, the passage doesn't say this, but just imagine in your own mind's eye, what, what does Simon, what is he doing when Jesus comes in? He's ignoring him. Perhaps he's even over in the corner with some of his, his Pharisee friends, the self-righteous group, and they're, they're standing there, and as Jesus walks in, they're, they're that's the guy. That's the guy that everybody's following. There he is. Look at him. And we even hear, as Simon in, in verse 40, as Jesus says, I have something to tell you. He says simply, tell me, teacher. He just, see, he just sees Jesus as this teacher, someone who is out there, who is saying things, who is doing things that maybe he can't or can't explain, but Jesus is doing amazing things and has this amazing following, and yet he treats him with disrespect and rudeness because he doesn't see Jesus for who Jesus really is. 
In Simon's own mind, maybe he doesn't even think he needs to do that because Simon is struggling with self-righteousness, with the fact that he has it all together and Jesus needs to prove himself to Simon rather than perhaps the other way around. Simon deals with something that perhaps many of us might struggle with, and that is a sense of self-righteousness. Before we pass by Simon too quickly, I want us to notice a couple of things. One, maybe we're more like Simon than we care to admit. Maybe we're more like Simon than we would care to admit and that we might struggle with a sense of our own self-righteousness, that we follow the rules as best we can, and we think that is what makes us right with God. If we look at how Jesus gently loves and cares for Simon, Luke tells us what Simon was thinking in verse 39. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, Simon doubts the claims of Jesus. If he was really who he says he is, if he was really a prophet, he would know even though it wouldn't have been that hard to know who that woman was, if he really knew what kind of woman she is. You see, Simon, as this woman comes in, and we'll, we'll think about her in just a moment, but as he looks at her, he, in his self-righteousness, says she is the sinner and that's what self-righteousness can do to us. It can take the, our eyes off of ourselves and, and look at everyone else and say, you know what, I'm better than them. I'm better than him. I'm better than her. And Jesus will say it this way. We will look at the speck of dust in our brother's eye. All the while there is a plank coming out of our own eye. And that's what self-righteousness does to us. It causes us to look at other people and to base our relationship with God based upon them rather than upon our own sinfulness. Because if we feel better than other people, perhaps we think God might accept us or love us more. You see, the thing is, Simon knew her sin better than he knew his own. He knew her sin better than he knew his own. Self-righteousness does that to us. It causes us to look down on others. It causes us to think that we are better than we really are. I, I remember, uh, it's been many years now, uh, when, when we were in Annapolis, I was walking through the mall indoor shopping area one day. I was getting some, some food for lunch, and there was a gentleman who was walking the opposite way. You couldn't, you couldn't miss him. He was wearing a dress. He was wearing high heels, 
He had a big purse, like big, big bag, like the famous women wear that they put their dogs in kind of thing. And he had a big hat, like women wear to the races, hat. And everybody was looking at him. Everybody's staring at him. Some kids were pointing at him. Look at that guy. Look at him. And a few weeks later at our evening service, I opened the door and I was preaching that week. There he was. He walked into my service. And I will confess to you now, I thought, oh no, what is he doing here? Because all the people that come to the evening service, they're respectable people. They don't struggle with the things that he struggles with. What do I say to him? How do I act? Do I shake his hand? Do I say hi? How do I interact? All of these things began to flood my mind. And if I'm honest with you, I didn't want him there because it threw me off. It threw me off, off my game, if you will. I, was, I just stumbled through the whole message and I muddled through it and I was frustrated and I was frustrated with myself. And then Tuesday morning came around and a gentleman called me in the office and said, I want to thank you for your message on Sunday night. And I, I told you, you're welcome. I didn't know what to say. He said, I came with my friend. You didn't miss him. I'm sure you saw him. I've known him since high school. His struggle is pretty obvious to lots of people. His life's been pretty tough. But I've been sharing the gospel with him for the last over the last year or so, and he's beginning to ask questions. He's beginning to get it. He's beginning to see that, that Jesus died for people like him. And I hung up the, and he thanked me for, for sharing the gospel. And I hung up the phone and I cried because I was so ashamed of my own self righteousness. You see, when I speak of self-righteousness of Simon, do you know who the number one self-righteous person is in my life? It's me. The preacher can struggle with these things just as, just as well as anyone else. And I continue to pray for that gentleman that God would, would redeem him and, and save him from his sin. And that he would do the same for me. But notice that Jesus, as we think about the two things before we pass by, I mentioned one, that we're, we're more like Simon than we care to admit. But notice that Jesus comes to Simon's house. Jesus comes Jesus comes to the people that struggle with self-righteousness. He came for me. He came for you if that is your struggle. He comes for us. And he comes for a sinner like this woman. We're introduced to her in verse 37. A woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. 
uh, just a bit about what this dinner party would have looked like, because it might sound strange that she would just crash this party, but it actually was very common for people to come into a dinner party like this. So generically, this is kind of how they worked. Those that were invited to the party would come in. It was often an outdoor kind of area, kind of covered and they would come and they would recline at table. Perhaps you, you remember those lines that it's often said there in the scripture. They reclined at table. They would have typically laid on their left side, eaten with their right hand, and their feet would have gone out this way, kind of behind them. And this was the, this was the, the place to be. Things were happening. If, if you wanted to know the latest news, if you wanted to know the latest thought, if you wanted to know the latest gossip of the town, this is where you went. And so the guests that were invited, they're there reclining at table, but other people could come and just watch and listen. And lots of people did. And they would stand out around the edges. And so it probably just wasn't this sinful woman that was there. There were probably many others that were there they're watching and listening, learning. And then here she comes. Can you imagine the scene for a moment? We're not told, but most commentaries that have read on this seem to say that this woman was more than likely a prostitute. She was probably known in town. She was probably pointed at, looked at, She was the one that you would say to your sons, get behind me, don't get around that woman. She was the one that you told your daughters, don't end up like her. Stay away. She led a broken life. When life was down, it kicked her. It was tough. And yet here she comes. Perhaps she's making her way through the crowd and she comes up to the feet of Jesus and she begins to weep and not just cry not just a tear here and a tear there she weeped so that Jesus' feet were wet with her tears she wept so much that there is this fountain of water coming down and then she takes her hair and she takes it down, something that was forbidden in that culture for her to do. A woman did not take her hair down outside of her home. It was forbidden to take your hair down outside the, anyone else other than the presence of your husband. And she takes her hair down and she's at Jesus' feet. Now remember, Simon hasn't cleaned his feet. They're dirty, they're dusty, they're covered in Let your mind wander in whatever it was they walked through. And she takes her hair. She wipes Jesus' feet, taking all of that stuff onto herself. And she takes this jar of perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet. And she anoints his feet with this oil. What an amazing scene. 
What an amazing thing we have that you can imagine. Just think of what she is doing. Think of even John the Baptist who, as he proclaims Jesus is coming, remember what he said was the one who is coming, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. And this woman, Jesus allows to come and wipe his feet with her hair. Why did she do that? We we are told that she loved much because she had been forgiven much. Jesus doesn't minimize her sin. In fact, he says that her sins are many. But her many sins have been forgiven. We don't know the the backstory of this, but at some point she has heard the message that Jesus has proclaimed of the good news of the gospel, that her sins can be and are forgiven if she believes by faith in Jesus. And so Jesus says in verse 50, your faith has saved you. It is by faith that we are saved. It's not by our self-righteousness. It's not by our works. It's not by keeping all of the laws or by saying, you know what, I'm going to put a law around the law so they don't even get close to that law. We are saved fully, finally, completely, totally by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And out of that faith comes love for him comes following him, comes obeying him, comes loving him. In 1 John chapter 1, we, we read these words when I find it. 1 John 1 verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in us. If we are self-righteous and we say, I have no sin, I don't need a savior, I'm good. God's word says you're a liar. But if we know our sin, we have one, if we confess it as faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. My friends, I I know two of you in this room. I don't know anyone else. I don't know your story. I don't know what it is you're, you're thinking about this afternoon. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. Perhaps you're here and you're thinking, I've got my life all together and I just want to be told like, I'm good. Or perhaps you're here and you think, my life is an absolute mess. The answer for all of us is Jesus, is to come to him and to have our sin forgiven, to have our debt canceled And when we come to the Savior, as Jesus has this conversation with Simon, he says, Simon, as Jesus knows what Simon is thinking, so he says in verse 40, you know, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Suppose there's two people, and they both owe a debt. 
They both have a debt. One is roughly a year and a half's worth of wages. I, I, I confess I don't know what an average wage in this country is, but let's just say it's 40,000 pounds. That might be high, it might be low, I have no idea. But just say 40,000 pounds. There's someone else that owes about a month and a half's worth of wages. Now, those of you that are good at math are going to make fun of me here because I have no idea what like 40,000 pounds on a monthly thing is. I have no clue. You can tell me out in the car park. But let's just say that's 4,000 pounds. One owed 40,000. One owed four. Both of them have their debt canceled. Jesus says, Simon, um, who do you think loved the, the one who canceled the debt more? And Simon almost reluctantly, verse 43, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? She knows how big her debt is. Do you understand that she loved much because she has been forgiven much? It's the upside down nature of the gospel that as we see our sin, we grow in our love for Jesus. That sounds really strange, even as I say it, and I've said it for years. It still sounds strange, and yet it's true. It's what Jesus is pointing us to here, is that as we grow in Christ, we see our sin. It doesn't mean we sin more. I want to be clear on that. It doesn't mean we, we lie, and we cheat, and we steal, and we disobey our parents, and we do all the, you know, make idols and all this. That doesn't, that's not what it means, but that we see that there's a sin behind our sin. You see, the reason that I sin, the reason I do bad things or don't do the things that God says is because I'm a sinner. I sin because I'm a sinner. And when I grow in Christ, what I realize is my sin that works itself out as a sinner is deeper than I ever dared imagine. That when I, as I grow, young people, this, sorry, this is going to be really disappointing to you, uh, but hopefully it will be good. As you get older, you see your sin more. But you know what else happens? You see Jesus more. You see, the reason that I lie and I cheat and I steal and I do dumb things that go against what God has said is because there's something in me that's called sin and that works itself out as pride, that works itself out as arrogance and I see that in it and I go, what do I do with that? I can deny it. Oh, self-righteous, I'm good. No, I don't do that. I'm not prideful. Or I can take it to the feet of Jesus and I can lay it there and say, oh, how wonderful that cross of Jesus is. That he knows my sin even more than I do. And that he has still forgiven me. I have been forgiven much. 
And so as we do these great things, as we worship God, as we read his word, as we pray, all of these things are to point us to the Savior. It shows us our sin. It opens up our our lives to, to him and to his grace and to his scandalous mercy that he gives to wretched people like you and especially like me. And if you have never put your trust in him, I invite you to do that tonight, to find hope, to find forgiveness, to find, as Jesus says to this woman in verse 50, go in peace. A a woman whose life was turmoil. Jesus says, guess what? Your faith has saved you. Your relationship with God is secure. Go. Go in peace. The war is over. You are no longer an enemy of God because of what Jesus has done. And so I invite you, if you've never put your trust in him, come, do that. If if you have questions, I'm getting in my car and I'm leaving, but there are great folks here that would love to answer those questions and walk alongside of you for as long as it takes. And if you're here and you are trusting in Jesus, I invite you to look at yourself, to look at my self-righteous. Where am I trusting in my own works? Where am I trusting in my own goodness? And take that and lay it at the feet of Jesus. And to find that hope and that forgiveness in him. That our love for him might grow. That's my prayer for you as a church. My prayer for Dunfermline Free Church. For the free church. For this country and for the world. That we would grow in our love for Jesus. As we see the depth of our sin. And the even greater depths of his love and grace for us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for Jesus for his work, for this passage, for what it teaches us, how it encourages us, it challenges us. So Lord, I pray that you would take these words and that you would, as your word says, you would pierce our souls with them, that we might love you more, that we might follow you more, that our love for you might ever expand as we see our sin and the glory of the cross. And Lord, may we be ever captivated by it that we might honor you with our very lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.